the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses, or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. It is eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. On a Thursday, the 21st morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022, and we are underway. Got a great show lined up for you today, coming up on the program in about um, an hour. At 1010, we're going to be talking with Dr. Everett Piper, as we do each and every... He's got some stories today, boy. Oh, we chatted a little bit last night, and he's got some stories today that are just going to... I'll be honest with you, it, it, it just kind of makes you a little sick. <clears throat> it's the kind of thing where... I don't want to call it a train wreck. You know, everybody says, oh, train wrecks are so horrible and so gruesome, but you can't take your eyes off it. I don't want to call it that. It's it's less of a train wreck than it is an experimental procedure. And they're experimenting on our culture, and they're experimenting on our children. And it's so gruesome you want to turn away, but it's not that you can't. It's just, It's that you shouldn't. You know what I mean? You can't turn away from a train wreck because watching the carnage is just... It's it's a draw for for whatever reason. But when you're talking about performing um, experimental surgery on children, um, it's it's not something that draws you, but it's something you better not turn away from. You better pay attention to it because the culture depends upon your you know its survival. Um, and if you don't know what's going on, you're powerless to fight to stop that. And I'm going to leave it there for now. 
I'll talk to you more about the stories in particular that Dr. Piper and I will discuss at 1010 coming up in a bit. Also on the program today, next hour, 1035, Shannon Burns, the Strongsville GOP leader, uh, State Central Committee member as well. <clears throat> They've got a huge weekend planned starting today. It's a long weekend and ending on uh, Saturday night in Delaware, uh, where President Trump, Delaware, Ohio, of course, that is, where President Trump is going to be uh, speaking and uh, talking about his endorsements of J.D. Vance. I got word yesterday, uh, last night, actually, on the uh, uh, Citizens for Free Speech Ohio chapter webinar that I hosted with Tom Zawistowski as our guest presenter from the We the People convention, that President Trump is going to make another endorsement on Saturday. And this time it's going to be for the incumbent Secretary of State, Frank LaRose. He, of course, is being challenged by John Adams, and a lot of people think we need a change at that position, that uh, uh, all is not well with Ohio's electoral system, as much as Frank LaRose wants you to believe that it is. I interviewed him, and I found a few things to pick apart when I spoke with him on Monday. Um, but uh, President Trump is apparently ready to give his endorsement. At least that's what we got last night from Tom Zawistowski. So we'll see how that goes. And we're going to talk to Shannon about some of that coming up at 1035. And in the 11 o'clock hour at the top at 1110, we're going to talk with an actress named Desi Diamani. Desi Diamani is a Disney actress, or shall we say a former Disney actress, who's got some very serious and important thoughts on the mouse world. And the woke mouse world and the extraordinary um, targeting of children with queer and gay and uh, trans and, well, the entire alphabet soup of LGBTQ blah, 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 blah uh, by the, by the uh, Walt Disney Corporation. Uh, it has gone woke, and it is chasing people and families away in droves. And we've got an actress who's going to talk about what it's like in the world of Disney. So that's coming up uh, in the 11 o'clock hour. So those are our three guests, Dr. Piper, Shannon Burns, and Desi Diamani are going to be on the program today. You can be on the program as well today whenever you are doggone ready. 216-901-0945, Either one of those numbers gets you here. And as you know, I always welcome your messages left on the website, which is alwaysright.us. You can listen live to the program at alwaysright.us. You can also message the program with a voice message that I will play on the radio. Just send them to me by way of the uh, the uh, sound off button at alwayswrite.us. Now, before we get into the top news of the day, what do you say we rise, patriots? Face a flag near you. If you don't have one, just go ahead and close your eyes and imagine old glory. If you are a leftist, if you are a Brandon supporter, if you believe the CDC is right to appeal the judge's ruling that the mask mandate for American travelers must end, well, then you don't believe in freedom anyway, and I don't expect you would want to pledge your allegiance to this flag. So go ahead and take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So it didn't take long, as you can imagine, uh, for the CDC and the Brandon administration, who saw the American people starting to become a little bit comfortable. They saw the American people, just for a couple of days, feeling free. And they said, what is with this crap? What, what is this smiling and laughing and breathing the free air? 
exposing their faces to the germs, to the viruses, to the particles, to all of that bad stuff in the air. What is wrong with these people? We can't have that. We can't have people actually enjoying themselves. That's not what this is supposed to look like. So in just a couple of days since a federal judge in Florida, a Trump-appointed judge for what that's worth, um, in just a couple of days since that judge went ahead and lifted Biden's mask mandate, called it unlawful, saying that the CDC grossly exceeded its authority, did not have the right to do what it had done, that Biden did not have the right to issue an executive order, which he did on the day after he was inaugurated last year, to issue this blanket uh, rule that everybody must wear some sort of a face covering, regardless of the science or the lack thereof. If they're going to be on public transportation. A couple of days, people are singing in the aisles of airplanes, in the cabins, they're smiling. you got you got flight attendants just cheering because they don't have to play cop now. They don't have to play bad cop in particular. They don't have to be yelling at people who want to breathe freely on the plane. They don't want to tell people, please pull that up over your nose, because they know all it's going to do is antagonize and anger people, and justifiably so. So they don't want to have to do that anymore, and they're enjoying themselves, and here we come. Literally just about a day and a half later, uh, the CDC has told the Department of Justice, appeal this. We're right. Uh, that judge is wrong. Story from Breitbart. In a statement, the CDC said, to protect CDC's public health authority beyond the ongoing assessment announced last week, CDC has asked DOJ to proceed with an appeal in the Health Freedom Defense Fund, etc., versus Biden, etc., It is CDC's continuing assessment that at this time an order requiring masking in the indoor transportation corridor remains necessary for the public health. CDC will continue to monitor public health conditions to determine whether such an order remains necessary. CDC believes this is a lawful order well within CDC's legal authority to protect public health. Now I'm going to stop there and just respond to that the best I can without using profanity. What a bunch of hogwash. The CDC is the last organization in America that should be we should be listening to when it comes to public health. They contradict themselves at every turn the same way that Dr. Fauci does. The same way that the NIH and Dr. Francis Collins does. They tell you to follow the science until the science falls flat. Until the science disproves what they were telling you to do. And then, when they have no science to tell you to follow, then they just say, too bad, do it anyway, because we're the bosses and you're not. This is well within our legal authority. The CDC has admitted in their own findings that cloth face coverings are completely and utterly useless. Not like just a little bit, but completely useless. In other words, they do not stop the tiny particles, the droplets, if you will, from the COVID virus or anything else. They go right through cloth as if it's not even there. And yet, they say that, quote, for the public health, they're requiring that you wear this cloth over your face. 
And they're not saying it has to be cloth. They're saying it can be the surgical masks, which are equally ineffective. Or it can be an N95 mask. It doesn't matter. They say just put something on. And since science doesn't stand up to this now, science does not justify such orders, then they are just playing the we are in charge. Department of Justice, make it happen. It's just, it's inconceivable. And it is also indefensible. Because what the CDC is arguing here is easily defeated by real science, and most importantly, what the judge in Florida found is is right. It's tr- it's true that it is beyond the scope of the authority of either the CDC or the President of the United States to order such things without carrying the weight of law. In other words, without the 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 legislature, the Congress passing something, and then having to pro- provide the funding and the infrastructure to implement it. It's beyond the scope of their 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 uh, their authority, because since they they don't pass a law and thus fund it this order, then they are demanding that flight attendants, cab drivers, Uber drivers, train uh, uh, employees, whatever you call the train attendants for those on the railways, that all of these public transport workers who are there to just basically serve the passengers asking them to act as law law enforcement agents, getting into arguments and fights with people over whether the mask is up over their nose or if it's down enough over their mouth or if it's uh, if they're allowed to take it down while they drink and whether the two-year-old who's there sucking on a sippy cup has to put the mask on. I mean, all of this stuff they've done is completely and wholly unlawful and unconstitutional, and they know it. And so does the judge... And so does uh, virtually every passenger, but the CDC isn't about science. It is about public health. It is about you do what you're told. This is the reason we wrote, or not wrote, rather, I stated, just kind of off the cuff, uh, the line that became a T-shirt that has still been our best-selling T-shirt uh, on the web store at alwayswrite.us. And that is they don't want science. They just want compliance. If the science isn't there, too bad. Just comply because we said so. Who do you think you are? Who do you think is in charge around here? You? You know, in a in a representative republic like ours, technically we are in charge. Joe Brandon? The CDC? The NIH? They work for us. Government uh, uh, elected officials and government agencies work for us and instead they make us appear and to feel subservient that they are in charge and that we are their underlings and we will do what they tell us to do we will comply or we will be in trouble the heavy-handed authoritarian style government of the branded administration will be noted and it will be battled and it will be fought and it will be defeated i promise you and that starts on May 3rd with electing the right conservative candidates to represent the conservative movement, not necessarily the Republican movement, but the conservative movement, uh, when they go up against far-left, uh, heavy-handed authoritarian supporters for the Democrat Party. That is when the defeat begins. So I hope you're ready for this fight. 
They're not letting your freedom go. They're not allowing you to enjoy this as, as long as they can possibly stop it. So get ready to stay. Don't throw your masks, masks away yet. Don't burn them. Or, unless maybe if you're a patriot, go ahead and burn them, because you should. But they're going to try to tell you to buy new ones then, because they're not done with you yet, not by a long shot. I welcome your thoughts. 216-901-0945, Right back on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Nine twenty-five AM, fourteen twenty. The answer. Always right radio. You can listen live at alwaysright.us. Alwaysright.us. Um, today is the probable cause hearing for the hat. Farmer Joe Blystone, the hat and the beard, the two uh, the two uh, campaign issues he's running on more than any other. The hat and the beard. And that's pretty much the only thing he's known for. Uh, he uh, has a probable cause hearing today before the elections commission in response to a whole host of election finance law violations alleged by his former campaign manager in a lawsuit and by the Secretary of State demanding at least $101,000 of donations be returned. Finally expedited. We talked a little bit earlier this week with Jack Windsor about it. Finally expedited so that if there is probable cause found today, a full commission hearing will be held on May 2nd, the day before the actual election for uh, the governor in the governor's primary. So uh, so the hat's got uh, some, some splaining to do today, and we'll find out uh, how that goes, and, and we'll see whether or not there's going to be a full hearing on May 2nd. All right, 216-901-0945 is the number to call. Let's go to Mark, who is in um, North Olmstead. Hi, Mark. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, hey Bob. I just, uh, when you mentioned the flight attendants enforcing mask mandates, it reminded mm-hmm. me of something I think a lot of people have forgotten, which is the wine secret police that were running around to uh, restaurants and bars and handing out uh, fines and shutting places down. And with the elect- the primary coming up, that's something that I feel like people should be reminded of. Well, you're a thousand percent right. You know, the, the what, what's even worse, though, um, than the secret police sending, you know, the center around Mark, is the reason he had to send those secret police around or he felt he did, is because um, he he couldn't trust or wouldn't trust the bartenders, waiters, waitresses, servers, and so on and so forth to to play the role of police themselves, the way the flight attendants have to. You know, nobody wants to do that. Nobody in a service industry wants to tell a grown adult, sit down, sir. If you're standing up, you have to have a mask on. If you don't have a mask on, you must be seated. Because as you know, you remember, according to Amy Acton, the virus only started to hit you above five feet off of the ground. Once you stood up, you were in it. Once you sit down, you're free of it and you're clear and you can take your mask off. And I know that sounds absurd, but that's what they well, said. Well, no, it's exactly right, and it's yeah. not their job. They're not trained for that. It's not their it's job, ridiculous. and they shouldn't it's have totally to. totally ridiculous. And they shouldn't have to get into those arguments and, 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 and confrontations with patrons that they want to make happy that they want to get tips from and so and because they couldn't do quick... that they sent the secret police around as you said to find the the already suffering and struggling business owners you know who were closed for the for the period of time that they were full-on lockdown because they weren't essential and then they get opened up they're only allowed 25 percent capacity so they're losing money hand over fist anyway and then they want to throw fines at them at the same time go ahead exactly. what was your last point exactly what my one quick comment about the mass is uh 
I, I go down to Sidemen twice a year with my wife to uh, get a screening for her. And before COVID ever hit, when we would walk into that establishment, there were people walking around with masks on. And they weren't walking around because they were going to give someone cancer. They wore the masks for personal protection. That's what they're designed for. They're not designed to keep other people safe. They're designed to keep you safe. So if you, need to, if you feel you need to wear one, then wear one. But it's ridiculous to mandate that everyone else has to wear a mask. If you're, if you're healthy and you've got natural immunity, which is ignored completely in this society, um, although that's been the science since I was uh, in grade school, yeah. you, get a, you get a cold, you're immune to the cold. It, it's what they taught us for generations. You grew up the same time I did. Yeah, the I, human I, body does remarkable things. When they ingest germs and viruses and things like that, the body says, oh, that's not good. We'll battle that off a little bit right now, and then we'll build up antibodies and other things to make sure that we can't get that again. Uh, the human body exactly. is remarkably resilient in such a way. But how dare you exactly. speak of freedom? How dare you speak of things like, <laughs> if you want to wear one, go ahead. If I don't want to, don't make me. I mean, geez, what's wrong with you? What country do you think this is? Anyway, Mark, thanks America. for America. Amen. God yep. bless you. Thanks for the phone call. All right, it's coming up on 930. Before we hit the news, let's check in with... Random Talking Trump Doll! I don't frankly have time for total political correctness, and this country doesn't have time either. Random Talking Trump, Trump Doll weighing in for us uh, on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll be back. upside down and the majority turns to the left turn to the right always right with bob france on am 1420 the answer always right radio thanks for being with us on am 1420 the answer don't forget dr Everett piper coming up at the top of the next hour we're going to talk disney in hour three with a disney actress desi diamani and we're going to talk about um ron DeSantis is just not playing He is not playing. Disney threatened and promised, in fact, to overturn through the courts the parental rights law that was pushed by Ron DeSantis and passed by the Florida State Legislature to stop teachers and groomers in preschools and K-3 through from trying to sexualize children by talking to them and teaching them about sex and sexuality and sexual orientation. It's, it's just insane, and parents don't want it, and, and the legislators did what their parents wanted, uh, which is to, 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 to ban that stuff from young children. And Disney, which thinks somehow they own Florida from their, their, their capital in Orlando, if you will, said they're going to get it overturned, and they're going to get rid of Ron DeSantis and get rid of the Florida legislature and so on and so forth. Well, Ron DeSantis has responded. And he has responded in a huge way. Ron DeSantis promised to strip Disney of the autonomy and the essentially the ability to run themselves as their own government and as their own state since 1967. Tax privilege, self-governing status gone. Now, you might say, well, <clears throat> that's just what uh, you know, DeSantis said. But he can't use an executive order to do that. And it's true. He can't. So he went to the Florida legislators, and last night, or yesterday afternoon, rather, 
the Florida Senate voted and approved a bill that eliminates the Walt Disney Company special tax district that has allowed the company to self-govern its land literally since 1967. The Florida House is expected to approve it as well. Ron DeSantis could be signing it by the end of the week tomorrow, and Disney is going to have to go back to obeying the laws of the state of Florida. Florida's Republican-led Senate approved a bill on Wednesday that would eliminate the Walt Disney Company special tax district, allowing them to self-govern its land. The Florida House is expected to vote in favor of that as well. After Ron DeSantis announced that lawmakers would be considering termination of all special, special districts that were announced in Florida prior to 1968, that includes the Reedy Creek Improvement District. The special tax district allows Disney wide-ranging autonomy, including over local police and fire departments on the land where its theme park sits in Orlando. It currently saves the operation, or excuse me, it currently saves the company tens of millions of dollars a year in exemptions from various regulations and taxes and fees, according to the Wall Street Journal, citing a person familiar with the company's finance. The Reedy Creek Improvement District was created in 1967 in an effort to support and administer various aspects of economic development and tourism within district boundaries. Under the agreement, Disney has been responsible for overseeing environmental protections and public services, as well as operating and maintaining public roads and bridges. The legislation passed in the Senate 23-16, to and it will eliminate the arrangement in June of 2023. <clears throat> I don't know why they wait so long, because that's over a year away. It would affect approximately six districts in the state. However, Reedy Creek is the only one linked to a high-profile company like Disney. So Ron DeSantis just walking around dropping bombs and getting ready to pick the next fight and the next fight and the next fight. And dare I say, every time his name is in the news, it is about something that is outstanding. And every time I see Ron DeSantis doing outstanding things, and every time I see President Trump doing head-scratchy type of things, the more and more I start thinking, maybe, just maybe, it shouldn't be Trump 2024 that we're all chanting. Maybe, just maybe, we should be chanting, Trump, support DeSantis in 2024. Because this guy is hitting home runs on every pitch. It's batting practice for him right now. And I think that is phenomenal. Uh, welcome your thoughts, 216-901-0945, Let's go back at it. Staying in North Olmstead, it's BJ. Hi, BJ, go ahead, sir. Good morning. I'd like to bring a different tent. I've uh, had the occasion, being 91, to go to a senior center and talk to seniors. They're a big concern, uh, many of them. Um, they were pretty young then, but I was born 10 years after the not roaring 20s when homes were being built. Lakewood was being boomed with the two family uh, homes and all over the city. And then the Depression hit, and the Depression hit because the banks cut off uh, the money that was going into buying a lot of these properties. A lot of those homes were lost and bankrupt. The reason I bring that up is because right now, just on the west side alone, you drive some of these uh, new streets, you see these semi-mansions that are up there. And one of the questions some of the seniors were asking me, who owns these places? They all can't be attorneys and lawyers. I said, that's true. I said, but they're being financed and heavily financed by the banks. And if the banks cut off that financing, you're going to have a major depression. We're looking at a lot of things, but if you, if you pay attention to what the politicians are doing, 
and the cost of living and everything going up. This is the same pattern that took place in the 1920s when the 29 crash came. And when government gets so big and the banks are so outloaned, so much money out there, and, and, and snap back on all this, you start to see the collapse of what goes on with the economy. And that's my concern for your younger people to be aware. And these politicians that are arguing and calling each other names and, and showing how miserable each one is in the party, how are they going to come together when they're elected? So for you young people, you have to become much, much more involved and much more vocal and much, much more aware of what's going on in the world around you. You can't just daydream your way through life anymore. Those days are over. And if we have a depression in this country, you will have a semi-revolution. And that's what concerns me for you younger people. And I am concerned about that in this great country, the home of the brave and the land of the free, and all the young men that died to keep this country free. So become more, very much aware of what's going with the economy and notice and bring attention to it so we are aware. This damn banking system has controlled the world for a long time and they can cause a depression and they can bring on prosperity. And the likes of what the people that run Disney are doing is nothing but decadence. They start with decadence and they bring everything down like they did in the 1920s. The roaring 20s became the Depression 20s in 1929. And thank you for your time. And God bless America and become aware, America. Wake up. Thank you for your time. Thank you, BJ. I appreciate it. So there's a lot of ground there, and I'm not going to be able to touch all of it because that was a very long phone call. Um, I, I hope and pray that we can head off what you were describing as a new next Great Depression. However, I can't rule it out because of the people in charge. You mentioned the banking system. Now, you're probably talking the banking system writ large, talking about central banks and so forth. Um, I'm, I'm concerned just about the ability for banks to make loans. If Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders and AOC and the rest of the squids and uh, Nancy Pelosi, if they all, Elizabeth Warren, if they all have their way, and in a blatant political move to try to stave off their destruction in November in the midterms, they decide to buy the votes of millions of millennials who are still paying student loan debts and millions of recent college graduates who are in the Gen Z side who are about to start paying student loan debts. They go ahead and forgive student debt that's what it would be, blatantly political, to try to get by the votes of these people to stop the red tsunami in November. Then I fear that that depression he is talking about could be very well on its way. The banks won't have, I mean, the banks have loaned billions of dollars to students who say, I know what I'm signing. I want to go to this university. It costs $25,000 a year. I'm going to need to borrow at least 15000 of that a year. I'm going to borrow $60,000 because I want my four-year degree. And I'll pay it back. Everybody who signs a loan says, of course, I know what I'm doing. I'll pay it back. And the bank says, you doggone well better. Because if millions of students don't pay it back, the bank is out billions of dollars. And then what happens when you want to take out a home loan? Sorry. 
What happens when you want to buy your next vehicle? Too bad. What happens when you want a loan to start a small business? The banks don't have money to lend. We went through this in the early 2000s because of the home crisis. Because Bill Clinton built upon Jimmy Carter's Community Reinvestment Act and expanded it and gave forced the banks to make massive uh, uh, mortgage loans to unqualified people. And why? Because of what today they would say is equity. Because of racial equity. It, it was unfair that there was so, such a small number of black homeowners around the country compared to white homeowners. So banks were forced to reinvest, if you will, in communities by giving loans, unsecured loans, to people who didn't qualify for loans. And it's not because they were black, it's because of their situation, whatever it may be. Whatever their earning potential was, their job situation was, they weren't qualified and they had to give them mortgages anyway because equity. And then what happened? As expected, people who didn't put any stake in the game, any skin in the game, if you will, meaning they didn't even make down payments on these homes, were given loans anyway. And then when they defaulted and the banks didn't get their money back, what did we have? We had the banking system. And and when you add that to the fact that they're printing money like it's free right now, devaluing the dollar to an exponential level with inflation rates at 40-year highs, go ahead and take the money out of the banks. Go ahead and tell millions of borrowers that they don't have to pay back billions in student loans and see what kind of response you get from the bank when you want to take out a business loan or a home loan or any kind of a loan. Forget about it. It will forever elude me. And in fact, if you can enlighten me, I don't want this to always be an echo chamber the way I accuse Twitter of being, which I'm right. Twitter is an echo chamber. They only want liberal leftist positions, and if you have a conservative point of view, they ban you, shadow ban you, boot you, suspend you, whatever. I want somebody who is of a mind that is typically going to be a leftist who can explain to me the position behind the argument of forgiving student loan debt. Make it make sense to me. I will listen. I will be respectful of your opinion. I will probably then disagree with it, but I need to at least hear it because I haven't heard one simple explanation yet, not from Sanders nor Warren or any of the people I mentioned, as to why this is necessary. How this helps anyone or anything other than the student who doesn't have to pay back the money they promised they'd pay back. I just bought the truck that I've been looking for for a long time. I just bought an F-150, and I signed a loan document. And it says that over the next five years, 60 months, I'm going to pay them for that, that, that loan that they gave me to buy the truck. At no point do I expect the federal government to say we're going to forgive that that auto loan that you took out. I expect to have to pay it back because that's what a loan is. Why should a student down the street from me, who at the same time I bought my truck, signed a document saying I'm going to pay you back to go to school, should that person not have to pay back their loan? But I do. If you can make sense of it to me, seriously, if you are a left-of-center person, even if you're a right-of-center person who has um, an ability to play devil's advocate here, make the argument to me. Tell me why this massive push, other than for votes, 
what the massive push for student loan debt forgiveness uh, or yeah, student student loan debt forgiveness. Make that make sense to me. What is the argument for it? Because I haven't heard it yet from anybody. I just keep hearing them say, "Do it. It'll be good for the economy." Just general, you know, platitudes like that. I don't want those. I want specifics. Why is this good for the economy? Why is this good for everyone? Why is this fair to anyone? Make the argument to me so that I can understand it better. That way, I'll be able to refute it better, and we'll do so civilly and respectfully. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Okay, nine fifty seven. Let's get another call in here. We'll go to uh, Westlake and Charlie next. Hey, Charlie, go ahead. Hey, Bob. Thanks for taking the call. I, I went to that uh, event last night with Don Trump Jr. It was very good. He's really becoming a better speaker. Doesn't seem to brag as much. Actually, tells jokes. I was enjoying myself. And he's the son. Thinking, of a, and, and he's the son of a president that doesn't smoke you know, crack, uh, uh, <laughs> collect illegal uh, foreign money for services not provided, and trading off of his father's name in order to uh, in order to um, uh, break uh, multiple laws. Uh, so I just would like to point that out. That yeah, you, you didn't. Hear yeah, the, con- the night. contrast. The contrast couldn't be greater. They would have gone right. after all of Trump's kids. If he did anything that Hunter Biden did, but one one hundredth of the things that he did would be enough right. to destroy the Trump right. family. Hunter Biden, did he say what? Who who's that? He doesn't work for the government. He doesn't count. Unbelievable. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's okay. I was thinking we're living in. If you're into history or civics, or I'm into that. That this is the greatest time we could ever be alive. You've got DeSantis and Trump attacking wokeism. Every chance they can. The, the Disney thing is just an attack on all this progressive wokeism, which is great. I want DeSantis, but I want Trump and DeSantis. That's my my thing. But you, you, the left at the same you're, time. You're never going to get that, by the way. You're never, ever, yeah. ever going to get that, just so you know. Well, Donald that's Trump, what I want. <laughs> Donald Trump is threatened by Ron DeSantis. Donald Trump yeah. will burn Ron DeSantis to the ground uh, rather than have him as his VP because he knows the popularity that DeSantis is getting. And he will never, right. ever allow somebody who is close to him, much less on his ticket, to be more popular than him. I think Ron, I think Donald Trump, if he runs in 2024, is going to put a big target on Ron DeSantis. He's going to disparage him. He's going to defame him the same way he did Ted Cruz. He doesn't want Ron DeSantis' star to outshine his own. He'll never be on a ticket with him i promise you well i hope you're wrong because i mean that would be the, the start ticket that would be the best the best and DeSantis is young enough that he can wait but that's just my opinion but uh, lately all, all the left is saying is if you have free speech this was the elon musk thing that if you have free speech you are killing democracy i mean to me it's it's 1984 on steroids how can you say free speech or more free speech is against democracy, but that's what they're doing. So it's like a, a volley going back and forth between east, the, the the left and the right about what's what speech is, what what thinking is supposed to be going on. It's just a, a crazy time we live in. I, you know, vote on May May third, though. That's what I'm well, telling everybody. Well, I'm with you on that part. So <laughs> thank you, Charlie, for the call. Uh, yeah, absolutely. On May third, you have to make uh, choose the right people, but. Um... 
it's not even a volleyball going back and forth. They don't even believe in that. They don't even believe in the argument that they're making that you that you're talking about. They don't believe that more free speech actually helps to, or excuse me, uh, uh, kills democracy. They just want control of every narrative, and they don't want to have to argue points. That's why the moment you get into a conversation with somebody from BLM or Antifa about a racial issue, when you make a point they cannot de- uh, refute, the conversation ends with racist. That's it. That's it. Silence at all costs. The uh, the dissenting voices when you can't beat them. So the reason they don't want more free speech, and the reason they say more free speech is bad for democracy, is because they are then going to defame your speech and describe your feet, uh, uh, your your speech as being offensive, as being hurtful, as being hateful, and thus worthy of the censorship, suppression, etc. That they believe in. They don't buy that stuff. They just know this is the only way they can possibly compete uh, in the marketplace of ideas. Shut the other guy down. All right, 10 o'clock. News time now. We're going to come back. We're going to talk to Dr. Everett Piper. He's got some stories, so there are some Lulus you're going to want to hear, even though it's going to be tough. Uh, but stay with us right here. Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now, two out of three. Eight minutes past 10 o'clock on this Thursday, 21st morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thanks so much for being with us. We're going to talk to Shannon Burns at the bottom of this hour from the Strongsville GOP and the Ohio State Central, the Republican State Central Committee. A huge, huge weekend that kind of starts today with events going on at Strongsville GOP. Continues through uh, Friday and Saturday at uh, Medina County Friends and Neighbors, where I will be the guest speaker uh, at the Thirsty Cowboy out in uh, uh, Medina. Then a big bus ride. <laughs> buses, plural buses, all going down to Delaware, Ohio, uh, for President Trump's rally. And uh, it'll be a very interesting day on Saturday. So we'll talk to Shannon about that coming up. And then Disney actress Desi Diamani is going to be joining us. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to talking to her about the woke corporation for which she works and how they are driving away families left and right with their leftism and their wokeism. So all of that coming up on the program. Right now, I want to welcome our good friend Dr. Everett Piper back in, as he is our regular commentator at this time on Thursday. He is a best-selling author. He is a weekly columnist at the Washington Times. He is a podcast host called The Rebellion in Oklahoma. He's a political candidate there as well as being a past university president. Dr. Piper, good morning. Good to have you back. It's always good to be on. Thanks. All right, Dr. Piper, we're going to start with the good, then we'll work our way through some of the some of the crud that you and I are going to discuss. <laughs> and that's, that's the yeah. best I can call it. And, and we're going to start with your wonderful, uplifting column from this past Sunday. We always try to work in a little bit about what you last wrote about. And in this case, since it was Easter Sunday, I thought it was very apropos that you did indeed remind everybody about the true king. Uh, so even though Easter is in our rearview mirror right now and Holy Week is gone, uh, let's go ahead and revel just a moment or two before we get into the bad stuff. Well, maybe the best way to summarize it, Bob, is for all of us to remember that all of this bad news, all of the crud, as you've described it, is going to end soon. 
if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a biblical Christian, if you trust the biblical story, the narrative of the Scriptures, then we know that we win at the end of the day. And we know that the Easter story is a true story. It's not just religious allegory. We know that Christ is risen from the grave. And we know that when men rise from the grave, we ought to trust them, because this just doesn't happen. Christ proved his divinity. He proved his claims. He proved that he is the great I Am, the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. He proved to us that he's the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And he proved to us that at the end of days, the bad news goes away, and he will rule. And it all goes back to the Easter story. I hate to move beyond Easter by just jumping back into the garbage, because Easter tells us that Jesus wins at the end of the day. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in one of the oldest creeds, if not the oldest creed of the Church, that was written in the 30s, a lot of scholars will say that 1 Corinthians 15, the creed that Paul references and reminds the Corinthian Church to adhere to, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose from the grave, according to the Scriptures, and that if Christ be not raised from the dead, that we of all people should be the most pitied. Um, Paul tells the, the, the Church in Corinth, the Corinthians, to adhere to that creed, and a lot of scholars will say that that creed was probably written in the 30s, like five or six years after the events themselves. We need to take great confidence in that creed, and remember that this is a true story, and long live the true king. You know, um, just to, I don't know, make a little allegory here, I suppose. Um, before Christ could rise and and uh, bring about the majesty and the glory of his defeat over sin and defeat over death, um, he had to live a lifetime of mockery. He had to live, live a lifetime of persecution. And then, of course, he had to endure the passion. Um can we say on a larger scale, those of us who are believers, when we have to deal with what we're dealing with right now, the abuse of children, the sexualization of children, the murder of children, uh, the, the, the horrible culture, there are so many of the horrors, I guess, that we have allowed to invade and define our culture right now, that this is kind of our mockery, this is our persecution, this is our time that we have to endure before we too can enjoy uh, the majesty of God's kingdom and, and, and celebrate with the risen Lord. Not to compare what we do to, to his passion and suffering, don't, don't misunderstand me, but, but I guess, you know, in order to, to appreciate the glory, you have to go through kind of what we are right now. Uh, not only can we say that, we have to say that, because Jesus said that they hated him, and therefore they will hate us. He, he told us, because they've hated me, they're going to hate you. So it, we can't dodge that. We're going to be disparaged by the world, just as our as our Lord and Savior was disparaged. We're, we're going to have to take up our own cross. He tells us that. I mean, he carried his, we're going to have to carry ours. Now, will it be a literal cross? We don't know. But are we going to have to be persecuted? Are we going to have to suffer uh, being mocked and maligned? Are we going to endure some of the same hate that he endured? Absolutely. But we shouldn't get downtrodden by that, because he also tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, because he's there to help us through his promises, through his word, and through the reality, the true story of Easter, that if our leader 
can defeat the grave, then so will we. The resurrection story is, is just not a story about Jesus. It's about your resurrection, Bob, and my resurrection. It's about everybody's resurrection who puts their faith in Christ and confesses their sins to Jesus and therefore is born again and redeemed. It's a wonderful story about ultimate victory. We are talking with Dr. Everett Piper on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, so let's... The difficulty I have is so much of what we are enduring is self, um, you know, is is self-imposed. We've brought this on ourselves, the things that we have allowed uh, ourselves to do and become as a culture, and that's the real frustrating thing. So let's talk about some of what I call the crud, some of the repugnant stories that we have to deal with right now. If we are to try to work our way out of this, um, let's identify the California infanticide bill. You sent me this yesterday. It's Bill 2223. It is literally what it sounds like when we say infanticide. It is not abortion. It is worse than abortion. If you can equate, you know, differences, different levels of, of horror of murdering babies, either in utero or, or, or post-birth, but that's what this one is, Dr. Piper. This is not in utero. This can no longer be called a health care uh, visit or a health procedure between a mother and her doctor or a woman and her doctor. We are talking about post-birth infanticide now. Can you tell us more? Yeah, and when people go Google this, the first thing you're going to see is the fact checkers are going to tell you it's false, that it's not the infanticide bill, and that conservatives and Christians, conservative Catholics, conservative evangelicals are lying, that it's not legalizing infanticide. That's not true. Go read the bill. In fact, I've got it right before me. And I'm going to read portions because it's very critical that people understand this. The bill says, and you identified the bill, the bill says that a person shall not be subject to criminal or civil civil liability. Excuse me, let me back up. A person shall not be subject to civil or criminal liability or penalty based on their actions or omissions with respect to their pregnancy or actual potential or alleged pregnancy outcome, including miscarriage, stillbirth, abortion, or perinatal death. Now, they use that word, perinatal death. That's not prenatal. They intentionally use the word perinatal. Well, we might ask, what does that mean? And if you look it up, it means various different things. Well, California law already defines perinatal. Go to the California Department of Health, and they say this about perinatal. They say comprehensive perinatal services means obstetric, psychosocial, nutrition, or health education services and related case coordination provided by or under the personal supervision of a physician during, now listen to this, folks, pregnancy and 60 days following delivery. That's what California says. So when they include perinatal The word in this new bill, um, uh, uh, what is it, Uh, 2223? Yes. They intentionally inserted perinatal for a reason. Words mean something. They have definitions. And the definition of perinatal, as defined by the state of California itself, includes physician services up to 60 days after birth. They're telling you that if a mother or a doctor kills an infant up to 60 days after birth, that there will be no civil or there will be no criminal penalty for doing so. This is barbary, pure and simple. Does it 
specifically say that anybody who who murders that child up to 60 days after delivery is cleared, or does it have to be, and I know it sounds ridiculous to try to draw distinctions here, but does it have to be a medical uh, a procedure or a physician inducing death the way they do in utero? Well, they say that it, it cannot, the mother, the mother or the father cannot be held criminally liable. Okay, they say that. The bill itself says a person shall not be subject to civil or criminal liability. So a person, and then they go on to say the perinatal death part that I already read, related to a pregnancy outcome or a pregnancy-related cause. Well, what the heck does that mean? A pregnancy-related cause is what? Well, I think it's called birth. That's a pregnancy-related outcome or cause. So what, you know, again, what the heck are they saying? They're saying that if something is born, if it's not a miscarriage, if it's not um, a stillbirth, if it's not an abortion, if there's another pregnancy-related cause or outcome, that this perinatal stuff kicks in and that a person, whether it be the woman or the doctor, cannot be held liable for perinatal services. I, I think as I read this, Dr. Piper, they may be using the word person, not to reference everybody, but it's the woke uh, uh, trans movement here, because in Section B of that, that uh, code, or section subsection B, rather, of Section 7, a person who aids or assists a pregnant person, as in, you know, males might be pregnant as well. They're, 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 they're doing the inclusive thing here, that a pregnant person, in exercising their rights under this article, should not be subject to civil or criminal liability or penalty, or otherwise deprived of their rights, based off solely on their actions to aid or assist the pregnant person in exercising their rights. Well, actually, I guess it kind of covers both. Uh, an assistant and the pregnant, quote-unquote, person uh, are not right. to be held liable if they exercise their, quote-unquote, rights. And and one more word, Dr. Piper, just if we needed to underscore the barbary as you describe it uh, any, any further, omissions jumped out at me. Um, anyone uh, who does this shall not be subject to civil or criminal liability or penalty or otherwise deprived of their rights under this article based on their actions or omissions with respect to their pregnancy or actual potential or alleged pregnancy outcome. In other words, if I'm reading that right, you don't have to feed your child. You can neglect your child to death up to 60 days after the birth uh, and, and not be charged for it or not be held accountable for it under your rights under California law, if I, heard, if I read that correctly. Well, again, we have, we, when, what, we, what we should do is do exactly what you and I are doing right now. We go read the actual bill, read the law, and then re- read the definitions to the words that they've chosen to use within that bill, within that law. And they have used the language that you've just described. Point A is referring, I would argue, to the birth person, the mother. That's what point A is arguing, that a mother cannot be held civilly or criminally liable if she kills her baby or neglects her baby, and the baby dies as a result of the neglect, okay? And that the reason I say that is because the use of the word perinatal, which is defined by California law as up to 60 days after birth. And then point B is referencing anybody who assists that mother in doing that to her child, and who would that be? That would be the doctor. They can't be held liable for their assistance in killing that child up to 60 days after birth. So they can try to wiggle out of this any way they want. They're the ones that chose the language. You aren't and I'm not. 
And if they want to use perinatal as the pivot point of their law, which apparently they do, then we need to hold their feet to the fire and say, well, what does it mean if it doesn't mean exactly what California already defines it as meaning? Dr. Everett Piper's our guest on AM 1420, The Answer, talking about some very difficult things. I guess on the plus side, after you've talked about murdering babies up to 60 days after their birth, talking about drag queen story hour and talking about bathroom issues are, are going to be fun and lighthearted comparatively. But we are going to talk about those two stories, which are also equally, well, not equally, but very important, coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1026. I don't have time probably to get into both of these stories, so it's going to be guest choice here, Dr. Everett Piper. Do you want to talk about the Drag Queen Story Hour being hosted by Oklahoma State University, among other organizations? Or do you want to talk about, again, your native Oklahoma and the confusing bathroom policy? Uh, Well, let's deal with the Drag Queen Story Hour because it's a praying, it's a grooming of our youngest children. And we need to continue to use that word. They hate it. Yes, they they do. They hate the fact that we're calling them groomers. So... Stick with it. Don't give up on that word. It's the perfect label because it's exactly what it is. They're trying to take our youngest children and groom them in this sexual nihilism. They're telling two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds that they should identify their own sex, even if it's different than their own biology. And we all know that no two-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old even cares about any of that stuff. This is adult debauchery that they're imposing on the innocence of children. And as Jesus told us, woe unto them who leads the little ones astray. It would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and be thrown into the sea. And as I said on your show, I think it was last week, we better go invest in millstones because there's going to be a run on the market. They're going to need a lot of them. So this story at in Oklahoma again, which as I've argued on your show, is the canary in the coal mine. If the canary is dying in the poisonous gases of Oklahoma, y'all better start recognizing it up your way and every place else around the country, because if the canary is dying down here because of this poison, then it's probably getting pretty sick in your own backyard, too. Pay attention to your schools. Pay attention to what they're doing. Pay attention to your universities, because they're teaching the next generation of teachers that are going to enter your local public schools and peddle this nonsense. And what happens in Oklahoma ain't going to stay in Oklahoma. It's going to work its way across the entire country. In fact, it already has. It's being, it is being taught at Ohio State University. It is being taught at Ohio University. It is being taught at Bowling Green State University, my alma mater. I attended there. It is being taught at Michigan State University. It's been taught everywhere. And the colleges of education, which are in the business of training up the next generation of educators, of teachers, are teaching them that drag queen story hours are a good thing for two-year-olds, three-year-olds, and five-year-olds right down here in Oklahoma. I want to boldface that and underscore that. Two-year-olds, three-year-olds. You think that the left went crazy when Florida said you cannot, uh, you cannot indoctrinate children of sexualization and teaching them about sex and sexual attraction and sexual orientation from K through uh, K through three, which would be five, six, seven, and eight year olds, you think that was bad? They're literally taking young toddlers, two years old, and trying to teach them that this is okay, this is normal, this is 
and again, we're not just talking about men dressed as women like your grandmother. They're not wearing shawls and, the, and pearls around their neck. They are wearing sexualized costumes, the kind that they prance across stages on during their con- uh, their uh, uh, their uh, uh, contests and and uh, and their presentations. Um, it's sexual, and again, it's teaching little boys and little girls to be as confused as they possibly can be so that they can then question their own uh, identities as they get a little bit older. Absolutely. And the proof isn't what they say themselves. Again, let's go to their own presentation. One of the videos out there of these drag queen story hours has the drag queen standing up in front of all these little children, and his opening commentary is this. Who wants to be a drag queen when they grow up? Okay? That's his opening salvo. So it's clearly an effort in grooming. It's clearly to teach these kids that they should be drag queens like he is when they grow up. This is child abuse. This is not teaching them to be tolerant. This is teaching them to be confused. This is child abuse. It's sacrificing the very soul of your children on the altar of this nihilism. Intentionally confusing children at a time in their lives when they are the most vulnerable and the most susceptible to confusing ideas in the preformative stages of their uh, brain development. That is exactly what this is. And if that's not called grooming, I don't know what is. And they hate that. They, you know, the, the younger generation likes to make fun of the older generation and say, okay, boomer, like you don't get it. Okay, boomer, you're a baby boomer. You, you don't understand what we're doing here. And yet, so we've turned that around and said, okay, groomer, and they flip out. How dare you accuse me of trying to groom these children to be sexual deviants or to be something other than what God made them? Uh, they hate that, which is exactly why we need to continue to use it. Let's bring shame upon them, and let's, uh, let's hope that eventually they understand it. Dr. Everett Piper, terrific conversation as always, sir. We'll talk to you again next week. Blessing. Take care. 1031 now. We're going to take a time out here for news. And on the other side of the news, what have we got? We've got Shannon Burns waiting. Huge weekend for conservatives. Huge weekend for uh, Trump supporters because they're going down in a bunch of buses on Saturday to Delaware, Ohio, to see President Trump speak. Shannon Burns is going to join us to talk about Ohio politics next. AM 1420, The Answer. As we continue, thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer, Always Right Radio. You can listen live at alwaysright.us. You can also shout out to me and the sound off button there on alwaysright.us, and uh, we'll play your thoughts on the radio about everything and anything that we are talking about, and we'll react to it. If you've got a question, ask it, and I will answer it. Breaking news, the Ohio Elections Commission just found prob- probable cause on a three-to-nothing vote of the three commission members who heard the probable cause case against Joe Blystone. The hat uh, is now going to face a full election commission hearing on May 2nd, just one day before the actual May 3rd primary. So this is something that should have been done a while ago, but it was at least done now. They uh, took a lawsuit to get an expedited hearing from the Elections Commission, uh, but that uh, was done. They just held that commission hearing this morning. We're going to get a full report from one of the lead uh, complainants against Joe Blystone from his own campaign. 
We talked to Sarah Chambers, you recall, the day after I talked to Joe Blystone last month about all of this. Uh, Stephanie Foucher is one of those who also joined that complaint, who saw all of the campaign irregularities, um, you know, the financial uh, disclosures uh, being ignored and so forth. Um, she's been monitoring this very closely as well. And uh, she uh, she's going to give us a report coming up at about 1130, I believe. Yeah, we've got a guest at 1110, so at 1135, about an hour from now, we're going to talk to Stephanie Foucher. But breaking news there, probable cause has been found, so he will face that hearing. And hopefully this will kind of open the eyes, in my opinion, of some of uh, Joe Blystone's strongest supporters and and get them to wake up and understand that your intentions are entirely noble, uh, but your faith was placed in the wrong guy. And if you really, truly want to save Ohio and you really, truly want to get Mike DeWine out of office, you will unify in support against Mike DeWine behind Jim Renacci, which would be the wise thing to do, I think, for all of us. All right, let's bring Shannon Burns in now to talk about this and a whole lot more. Shannon Burns is the leader of the Strongsville GOP, the the largest county GOP uh, um uh, organization in the in the uh, state of Ohio. He is also a member of the GOP State Central Committee. Shannon, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, Shannon Burns, the Strongsville GOP, has endorsed Jim Renacci, so I know you're already in that camp, but do you have any thoughts on uh, what we just found out this morning through that, ele- that, that finally expedited uh, elections committee hearing involving Joe Blystone? Well, I think it's, uh, it's great that, that finally... The process is starting to work its way out. I mean, it's pretty. It seems to me that that maybe Dewine had a hand in slowing that process down because I think he wants to have a stronger Blystone in there because that's his only path to victory. Uh, so it's great to see that that this process is working out. We've identified now that there's actually probable cause in in some of the uh, shadiness or, or or terrible management that uh, Joe Blystone had in his campaign. And obviously, the day before the primary, we're going to find out all of the, the details. Uh, it's clear to me now uh, that, that Blystone supporters should be thinking twice. You know, if you can't manage your own campaign, how could you manage the government of Ohio? Uh, that's just a simple question I'm asking myself. I ask Blystone supporters all the time. Yeah, I do too, uh, Shannon. I mean, and it's and it's not my observation or your observation or opinion. It's it's his own words. Uh, his defense of his multiple campaign finance violations, as outlined by the Secretary of State in the letter to him, uh, is I'm just a farmer. What do I know about running a campaign? Uh, that's literally what he said out of his own mouth on multiple occasions. So if that's your justification for your, you know, for the criminal activity or the illegal uh, activity uh, in this campaign is that you don't know what you're doing, well, then how can you possibly say, but I will do a great job of managing a multi-billion dollar state budget, and I will do a great job of managing nearly 12 million Ohioans. How, how can somebody who can't handle a small campaign budget handle the Ohio state budget? It's just, and again, those are his words, Shannon. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's right. It's, it's such a shame, Bob, because I think he brings some really interesting conversations to the forefront. And he talks about some topics that people really care about, but it's just unfortunate. You know, he's, he's just not prepared uh, to be governor and he's not prepared to even run his own campaign. So because of that, um, you know, those conversations might get lost. I mean, I think it's incumbent on us to continue the conversations that he's in the topics he's bringing up. Uh, but at this point, I want to make sure, I mean, my number one focus is to make sure that Mike DeWine is not our governor 
come January. And the only way that's going to happen at this point is that everyone gets behind Jim Renacy and, and carry him over the finish line on May 3rd. Yeah, and, you know, that, I, I, I want to underscore what I've said many, many times uh, to Blystone supporters. Nobody is ridiculing you. Nobody is, is, is trying to, you know, say that you're doing something wrong. You have probably 99% of the same views as Renacy supporters do, as conservatives all over the state of Ohio do. Uh, Joe Blystone probably has those very same views. But it's just that you've chosen a faulty messenger here to try to get Mike DeWine out of office. He's not a good messenger because he's not a good candidate because he's not a politician. And that's not to say you have to be a politician to, to be successful, but you have to know how to run a political campaign. And if you don't, you have to be able to what? Know how to hire somebody who knows how to run a political campaign, knows the campaign finance laws and so forth. So, you know, Donald Trump famously came in and said, I'm not a politician. That's why people love me. Uh, I'm a businessman. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a real estate mogul. I'm a game show host, but I know what I want to do. And he hires people to do it right. Uh, to do the things that he doesn't know how to do. I would say the same thing in the Senate race. Mike Gibbons has used the phrase, I'm not a politician. I've never been a politician. I don't speak in sound bites. And guess what? Uh, I'm a businessman. So you know what he does? He hires the best people that he can find to run a campaign, uh, to do the political side of things that he doesn't do. Well, Joe, where's your political side? Instead, he named his wife campaign tr- uh, uh, treasurer. Uh, he, he named a few volunteers as campaign managers. Uh, and then those volunteers watched the mess that was being created and said, we can't do this. And they not only bolted from the campaign, they blew the whistle and filed a 51-page complaint with the Elections Commission. So, you know, Joe Blystone may be a good-hearted guy. He may have good conservative principles, just like every one of his supporters. And as such, I would hope they would all look at this situation right now for what it is and say, let's use our conservative principles and let's unite behind the, the one conservative guy who can actually boot Mike DeWine out of Columbus, and that's Jim Renacci. Uh, you're, you're so spot on, Bob. If we, couldn't, if we look at May 4th and we see a scenario where you know, Mike DeWine gets 40% of the vote, and Jim Renacci gets 39.5% of the vote, and the remainder, uh, or somewhere, you know, maybe it's 45 and 44, and the remainder goes to, uh, to Blystone, and, and he's the spoiler. We're all going to be stuck with DeWine, and, and that's the last place any of us want to be. Uh, it's so clear to all of us that he's got to go. I don't disagree with that at all. So, Shannon, let's talk a little bit more about uh, the uh, the governor's race now. Uh, Mike DeWine, as you know, refused to show up to any of the debates. He was supposed to go on Newsmax with Jim Renacci. He didn't show up there, so they made it a full-on Jim Renacci town hall. Um, is, is Mike DeWine just really, really comfortable that he thinks he's going to win and he doesn't need to address or deal with Jim Renacci? Or does he fear being compared side-by-side to Jim Renacci? What, what, you, what do you think the reason is why he will not engage with him whatsoever? Well, Bob, my opinion's been the same. You know, since you and I talked about the state central committee meeting, uh, where DeWine was endorsed but wasn't, was too ashamed to show up for his own endorsement meeting there. The reason why his team won't let him go anywhere, uh, why he doesn't show up to Newsmax, why he doesn't come to any organizations and, and talk to people about his record is because he doesn't want to get booed. You know, he, he doesn't want to have that YouTube video of, or Rumble video of him being booed. And that's, you know, what he's, uh, he's trying to run from his basement like Joe Biden did. Um, unfortunately for him, he just doesn't have the support in the state uh, to do that. So he's got to get out and talk to people or, or risk be, or losing. 
Um, so his next best, uh, you know, I, I really think his next best uh, strategy is to try to prop up Joe Blystone the best he can uh, to make sure that the, the anti-DeWine vote gets split. Um, simply put, if he goes out in public, if he gets compared side-by-side to Jim Renacci, he loses. He, he's not accountable for his decisions. He's not accountable for saying that COVID uh, goes away at 10 or comes out at 10 o'clock. That's why we have to close the bars. He's not accountable for letting our children wear their masks and forcing them to wear masks in schools and closing schools down when it's clear that science didn't support it. He hasn't been accountable to any of that. Uh, even you know, look at the restaurants, you know, that's talk about the swamp. The restaurant association goes and endorses DeWine. I mean, that's a straight payoff right there. You know, the only people that DeWine actually has publicly supporting him are people he gives money to, right? The restaurant association, the mayors in, in our cities, you know, all the people that rely on him because he's such a vindictive governor that, you know, we are now faced with, he's faced with a, a scenario where the only public people willing to go out and talk to him are the ones that get paid by him. Um, everyone else is uh, quiet, and he's quiet. He's not even willing to talk for himself. We're talking to Shannon Burns, uh, who is a member of the GOP State Central Committee. He's also the leader of the Strongsville uh, GOP. All right, Shannon, um, you saw what I saw. President Trump made what to some was a very surprising decision to endorse J.D. Vance. Uh, J.D. Vance is the only member of the field in the Senate campaign that has been hypercritical of him. Uh, the caveat being it's been a few years. He said most of the things that he said in 2015, 2016, maybe early in 2017 also. Um, and President Trump has apparently forgiven him enough to endorse him. Um, I know that the Strongsville GOP has voted to endorse Josh Mandel. I'm curious where you and where you think most Ohio Republican voters are on this. Um, will the Trump endorsement change their mind about supporting Mandel or Gibbons or anybody else? Uh, and will they be willing to endorse Josh, uh, endorse, excuse me, will they be willing to vote for J.D. Vance if he wins this primary? Your thoughts? Oh, well, I mean, obviously, it's a, uh, it's, it's a complicated topic to talk about, Bob. I'm it is. a huge supporter of Trump. Uh, I have been since 2015. Um, you know, shortly after he came down the escalator, I was a supporter of his. Uh, once I really got to know him, and, and I'll tell you, it's it's challenging because he's done so many things right. My, my gosh, he's probably done more things right as an elected official and as a politician than almost any other politician I've ever known. Uh, he just doesn't do everything right. I mean, it's just no one could be perfect, and I just don't think this was the right choice. Uh, there's a lot of time left. There's 11, 12 days left in the campaign. I think it's going to be a hard-fought fight. Um, right now, as you look at it, the only candidate with staying power is Josh Mandel. He's the only one that actually can beat uh, J.D. Vance at this point. That's my opinion. I think it's backed by facts by the Trafalgar poll, uh, which was the only poll that came close to, to testing uh, when Vance had, had likely had the uh, um, endorsement. Mandel was neck to neck with him at that point. I think that's where we end up. I think it's going to come down to the last minute. Um, and, and quite frankly, I, I just I look at it and I have a difficult time. First off, you know, somebody asked me last night, hey, are you switching over to Vance uh, because you support the president so much? I said, I, you can't. I've never met the guy. I mean, I, I, I ran past him one time. But literally, you know, he hasn't come to talk to any of us. He, he blows us off. He only campaigned on Tucker Carlson. So literally the only thing I know about him is what he said. And he said he called us Nazis, right? He, he called us racist. He called uh, Trump supporters that. And I understand that the president has forgiven him, and forgiveness is something that uh, is earned. 
And in this case, he hasn't even tried. He hasn't even tried to come out and talk to any of us and, and share his story about why he felt that the party was, you know, you look at his, his video, he thought the Republican Party and conservatives were going off the deep end and, and it was promoted by racists and fascists and Nazis. And, and that's what he thought his reaction was to us and didn't understand anything. Supposedly understands it now, but, you know, that's great. I would be more than willing to forgive him, but he needs to come and talk to people. And the fact that he didn't even care to talk to him, uh, that we've never met him. He's never, you know, he had every, he was invited to come to Strongsville GOP four or five times over a course of a year and, uh, and just ignored us. And, and, and to even the extent of came and did an event and Strongsville didn't even tell us he was going to do it. So I think that says enough for us. It's difficult to try to forgive somebody for such a terrible thing you say um, and do because he says it's not true anymore. I, I, I don't know how I can believe that. And, and it's clear to me now that the only true conservative warrior, the only one that's going to be a fighter that's going to win for us is Mandel. And, and, and you know, that Bob, that's obviously, you know my opinion. I'm, I'm obviously a strong supporter of Josh Mandel for good reasons, right? Because, you know, faced with every opportunity to run, he, he picked the conservative topics and ran with it. But just looking at the environment, I know this is, you know, I'm sometimes a process guy when I think about this. He, there is a scenario right now where we have 12 days left, 11 days left, and we are going to have to pick on May 3rd who we're voting for. And right now, I think that J.D. Vance obviously has got the wind in his back. With President Trump coming in on Saturday and, talk, and, and obviously hyping him up, um, in my mind, there's only one person at this point that has the staying power, has the ability to beat J.D. Vance, and that's Josh Mandel. Um, and that's okay. why I'm going to be voting for Josh Mandel. And, and you know, we're looking forward to a great event with him tonight as well. Yeah, I was just about to ask you, uh, there's a whole bunch of events coming up here. we got about two minutes left. Tell me what the weekend plans are now, actually starting tonight for the Strongsville GOP. Yeah, so, um, by the way, strongsvillegop.org, you can get all the details. We're uh, we've had this plan for a couple weeks before the endorsement uh, uh, shenanigans here, but uh, we've got uh, what we're calling America First Fest tonight, Thursday uh, at seven o'clock, at um, excuse me, at six thirty at Mapleside, the barn at Mapleside Farms in Brunswick. Uh, General Michael Flynn and Josh Mandel. We've got a rally, a, a Faith and Freedom rally with General Michael Flynn tonight. Uh, tomorrow night at Harvest Saloon in Strongsville. We'll have Jim Renacci and Trump, uh, President Trump's camp- 2020 campaign manager, Brad Parscale. Uh, the two of them will be uh, um, there on Friday. We have a great band as well. It's the uh, Trump rally pre-party. Saturday morning, we're going to be celebrating with you, Bob, down at McFan. Um, and you know the, the morning, the breakfast, the coffee meeting that they have at Thirsty Cowboy at 8.30 on Thursday morning. And then everyone's going to be loading up on buses and heading down to the uh, – the Trump rally. It'll be a great time. We've got a tailgate party down at the Trump rally. So even if you're on the bus, uh, we'll be posting where our location is and love to have everyone come out and join us. Uh, really great three day uh, celebration of President Trump coming back to Ohio. It sounds like an amazing thing. You guys do such great work at organizing and act uh, with activism and putting people together to support the causes and the candidates that mean the most to you, uh, and I think to most conservatives. So that's a terrific thing. So glad you were able to do that. Thank you for your thoughts on everything, Shannon. Thanks for your great work, and I will see you Saturday morning in Medina, Medina County Friends and Neighbors. Great. Thank you, Bob. And, and strongsvillegop.org, if you want to learn about each of these events and come out and see us, 
all those events are free with the exception of the bus, of course. But uh, love to see everyone out there. Absolutely. Good stuff. StrongsvilleGOP.org. Thank you, Shannon Burns. We'll take a time out here. Come back. Don't forget, we've got uh, another hour to go of Always Right Radio on AM 1420 BS. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Always right radio indeed. Thanks for being with us. Hour number three is underway now at seven minutes past 11 o'clock. So uh, it is a Thursday. It's the 21st month, or excuse me, morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And uh, we appreciate you being here. Before I move on to our next guest, um, a quick note, a couple people have called and asked about the Thirsty Cowboy. Uh, or rather, I'm sorry, about the Medina County Friends and uh, Neighbors meeting. It is held on Saturday morning, 8.30 at the Thirsty Cowboy. I will be the guest speaker there. This Thursday, we'll have kind of an Election Day primer, a primary primer, uh, in which we will talk about the governor's race, we'll talk about the senator's race, we'll talk about the congressional races, and more. Uh, and, and really just what we have to do as conservatives to make sure that we are sending the right people up against the demon rats this November uh, for control of the state of Ohio and for control of the uh, of the uh, U.S. Congress. So it's a big, big day. Uh, be with us starting 8.30 in the morning at the Thirsty Cowboy. No, you do not have to register. There is a $5 charge at the door simply for facilities, and that is it. But Medina County Friends and Neighbors, Thirsty Cowboy in Medina on uh, on Saturday morning. I look forward to seeing you there. Now, if you look at my web two two quick things. Uh, number one, um, you'll see a quick story there on the hat. Uh, the hat has been found or at least a probable cause has been found that the hat uh, committed a series of campaign uh, finance violations in his run for governor. The hat, of course, is Joe Blystone. The hat and the beard are pretty much his only two selling points. He's got nothing else really to offer. Uh, so the hat uh, was found uh, to, there, there, there was probable cause found uh, that he has defrauded, if you will, the election. Uh, he has to return over $101,000 of illegal campaign contributions and answer for another 130000 that will also have to be returned uh, if deemed by the panel. And then he uh, is facing potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. That hearing just held this morning, so we'll give you more details on it as we get them. But that is on the webpage at alwayswrite.us, as is a picture of a crying Mickey Mouse. And you're probably wondering, why? Why do we want to see Mickey cry? Well, there's a reason Mickey Mouse is crying right now, and let's talk about why that is. We're going to talk. We're, the the reason that Mickey is crying is because he works for a company that is engaging in some very dangerous behavior. 
they're engaging in the grooming and in the, in the indoctrination and the, quite frankly, the sexualization of little kids. A company that was born to entertain children, a company that was born to uh, essentially make children smile, to promote family values, and, uh, and, and, and to, just, to just entertain kids. Marketing to kids has suddenly become a threat to kids. And they have made that very, very clear by their threat to overturn the Florida legislature uh, and the governor of the state of Florida and their law saying that you can't sexualize kids in K through 3. It's just that simple. They said they will go to the courts and do whatever they have to do to overturn that, and they will then institute as much, their word not mine, queerness as they possibly can in all Disney productions and in Disney theme parks. Well, here is a Disney employee who isn't necessarily thrilled about that new course taken by the Walt Disney Corporation. Uh, that doesn't sound good at all. In California, in front of Walt Disney Company, takes courage. And I'm a cast member here at the, well, for Disneyland, actually. I've been with them for quite a long time, and it's gotten very political. And it's gotten very hard to be who you are. It's gotten very hard to be someone who has conservative values, someone who believes in the right to choose, somebody who believes that it's okay to stand up for righteousness. It is okay to stand up for righteousness. Eleanor Roosevelt said, you gain strength, courage, and confidence every time you stop to look fear in the face. We are staring and looking at fear in the face. And my message today is for those like me who are cast members who are in the middle of that harvest field because that's what that place is. I've worked for Disney since 2001, and it has always been a harvest field, and that field is ripe for harvest. That is the voice of a very passionate actress and singer and performer, the Disney Corporation, Desi Diamani. It was held, uh, that event on April 6th. It was called Hold the Line for Our Kids, Rally at Disney Headquarters. And Desi Diamani joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer, to talk more about this. Desi, thank you so much for your time. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. How are you today? You have no idea how much I appreciate and we appreciate hearing Disney cast members willing to stand up and be courageous and and risk, uh, dare I say, cancellation, risk, dare I say, being fired for not uh, being a, a die-hard believer in DEI or DIE, as I like to call it, diversity, inclusion, and equity, and putting little children in harm's way. So let's start right there. Um, can you tell me what life is like? as a Disney employee, as a performer, for somebody who is conservative-minded and against the wokeism that the company has embraced? Well, I would say up until, um, up until, Mar- well, for me, I would say anybody that's pretty conservative keeps to themselves and doesn't really speak up because with this new um, diversity and inclusion message, it really makes it awkward for you if you don't agree with the messaging and you're really painted in a, in a light that's negative. Um, the fact that I've stood up, I've I'm, I'm been facing a little bit of feedback, constructive feedback from some of my um, coworkers, and they think because I'm taking a stand that I'm against them or their lifestyle, but really I'm taking a stand for the future and for kids, and they might not understand it, and it might seem a little prudish, but I have four nieces, uh, three nieces and a nephew, and when I think of my stand, I'm thinking about 
them. I don't think they need to learn about sexuality and, and sex um, when they're not even able to read and write yet because they're too young. You know what I mean? Let me interrupt you for a second, and I apologize for that. I love what you're saying, but it's very, very hard to hear. I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to ask our screener to pick you up there and see if we can make this connection better. It's very distorted. I don't know if it's speakerphone related or something of that nature, uh, but I want all of our listeners to be able to hear exactly what you are saying because it's extraordinarily important. But the distortion and the thickness of the, uh, of the audio connection there is just a little bit hard for us. So uh, let's see if we can uh, make that a little bit better. And uh, I'll ask our producers here to let me know when she's ready to go, uh, if we have a uh, better connection. Uh, and we do. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's, let's bring Desi Diamani back on. Desi, can you hear me all right? Uh, oh, we're still working on it. My apologies. Um, what she is talking about, you know, is something that a lot of employees of a lot of woke companies uh, have to deal with in terms of conservatism, and they're trying to instill their own, or not even instill. They don't want to force their own views on other people, but they don't wish to have views that they don't share forced upon them. What makes Desi unique and what makes everybody at Disney unique is not every company and corporation has a demographic of customers that targets children. I mean, that's, you know, it's one thing for, for Apple to do what Apple does and for Google to do what Google does, and even for Coca-Cola to do what Coca-Cola does. For Major League Baseball in the National Football League to go full-on woke and try to force their views on other people, that's, that's one thing. But none of those particular corporations have a specific target demographic of little kids. Disney was built for little kids, and little kids are the ones that they are targeting with this woke campaign. And that's what makes Desi, uh, what makes, uh, what Desi has to say a little bit more important than, uh, than somebody else facing similar conservative pushback, uh, in their companies. And I'm told she's, uh, back on the line now. Let's see if we can hear her a little bit better. Desi Diamani, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Uh, that sounds a lot better. Terrific. Thank awesome. you. God, I don't know what we had to do, but I'm glad we did it because what you're saying is so important. And I don't want anybody Thank to you. lose any of it in the translation uh, through the uh, through the through the the phone mishap. So um, we were talking about conservative employees and how hard it is to worry about being canceled if you speak out against uh, what is the prevailing orthodoxy there now. And I was talking about how this is the case in a lot of companies. A lot of employees face this, but very few companies are specifically designed targeting children. Disney was born and was built uh, to entertain children. That is the core audience. They don't expect to reach parents. They expect kids to be watching kids' TV shows and to see Disney commercials for movies and products and to say, Mom, 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 I want that, that, that. Um, so if they're targeting children for their products and for their, their performances, well, they're targeting children with their messaging as well. And, Desi, that's what I find to be very, very dangerous and very disturbing. Absolutely. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about what you have observed. I think I heard you in that clip say that you uh, started working for Disney in 2001. So that means you've got two yeah. decades working for the corporation. What changes have you seen over the course of that period of time? Well, when I hired in, I was I was just a teenager. That was my first real job in at the end of my high school career, and I did it through college. So I would say um, over time, it's been like, uh, you know, when a pot of water is boiling and there's a frog inside, the boil has gotten hotter. But I think in the, my first section time of working with Disney, it, it seemed normal. I was very young and naive, and I wasn't really thinking about, you know, the culture per se, but there is a culture there, and and it is very inclusive for people 
um, that identify different ways than I do. And I was raised in a Christian household, but it was just normal because everybody loved each other and was friends with each other. And nobody really cared what you believed. It seemed to be a very nice place to be. It was like family. And I still, to this day, love a lot of the people that I work with. I don't have any enemies. Well, maybe I do now, but um, I didn't. <laughs> but when I came back after, um, so I took about a, a seven-year break in between. And when I returned in 2014, it still seemed the same. Obviously, things had gotten a little bit more political. And then 2016 happened. I just remember seeing people like devastated at the election outcome. And that's when I really, I think, began to get clued in that people's politics were different than my politics. And, and it was the first time it was open. And then after the pandemic, it was very clear that the messaging at Disney had shifted. And I don't know who they included in their diversity inclusion and uh, as equity, <laughs> their their meetings, but I don't think that they included all the different voices. That's some of the things that really frustrated me recently is that they're not including all the voices. And Walt Disney said to all who come to this happy place, welcome. But all does not include anybody, like everybody. It only includes those that fit into that category that's pushing the message that it's pushing. And if you disagree with it, if you're a dissenter, then you're seen as like a bigot or racist or homophobic or transphobic or whatever phobic you want to call it. It's all a lie. It's not always true. So, so Desi, we're talking with Desi Diamani. Uh, she is a performer uh, and a singer and a, I believe, singer, right, and, uh, and, and dancer uh, with Disney shows and parades. Um, she has been there for a very, very long time, as you heard her say. It was her first job. What was your opinion when you heard uh, the videos that were released? They were kind of leaked, I guess. Um, of some of the top people in the company, vice presidents, presidents, uh, leading producers, and so on, all talking about the goal to being to queer up Disney as much as they could. Um, that some of them who actually came in with an agenda, I think one woman called it a uh, not-so-secret gay agenda, she expected to be pushed back upon because Disney was a, a company of family values and, in fact, got no pushback whatsoever and, in fact, was encouraged to queer it up as much as she could. When you hear all of those things, and and in my opinion, Desi, just to be clear, this does not make one uh, one transphobic or homophobic to say that little children shouldn't be exposed to confusing things like this. They should be exposed to what Disney has always given them, which is just a world of fantasy and make-believe and, and, and fun, wholesome stories. What did you think when you saw those videos of all of the leaders of corporate Disney saying, this is our new goal? Well, that was actually my tipping point. Um, I had already been pushed back because of a religious vaccine exemption request. And <clears throat> I was already writing letters. And when I saw that happen, that was my tipping point for me personally to go, I can't be silent anymore. I have to stand up because if I don't take a stand now or if I don't raise my voice, I know there's other people that believe the same way that I believe. And I, and I agree with you. I don't think kids need to be learning confusing messages. I mean, they're growing up, they're already confused as it is learning how to, how to, to read, to write, to, to interact with other people. And when we feed them, and I say we, cause I'm still a part of the company. And I just hope that they will hear the concern from parents and aunties and uncles and even young people um, who feel the same way you and I feel 
that they would take into consideration that the future doesn't always look the way they're trying to push and that agenda isn't right. And when I saw my leaders not listening, like we have to take a stand. If I, it's come hell or high water, I guess. Like if I don't, if I lose my job over this, I'm taking a stand for the, the values that I learned and all my time in, in service with this company, that it's all about safety, courtesy, show, efficiency, and now inclusion, but inclusion should include everybody. And people are concerned about the direction they're going, and I think they need to listen. Desi, let me ask you this. Have you ever pushed, or do you know anybody who has a similar ideology uh, that you have, have you ever tried to push your conservative politics and viewpoints on your coworkers or demand that management uh, make everybody else repeat the talking points that you believe in? No, it would be considered harassment. Yeah, that's exactly what it would be, and that's the answer I expected from you. However, it's not considered harassment when they push you and make you use pronouns that you don't believe in or make statements that you don't believe in or accept or acknowledge uh, that it's okay to over-sexualize children from ages 2 to, to, to 8 or whatever the case might be. Um, if they push that on you and you push back, you're a bigot. If you try to push your conservative values on them and they push back, they're heroic and you're an extremist. That doesn't seem like a very fair place to work. It, it isn't. You know, we and, I, and I'm, I've tried very hard to um, take my stand for what I believe in. And in this particular season, it's looking like this fight. This isn't the first time I've I've actually stood outside of the gates, kind of holding up the sign. Because when they closed in 2020, I fought for the cast members then, because there were 28,000 people, myself included, that got laid off due to the pandemic, and mm-hmm. Disney did nothing about it. And then additionally, I did a food distribution for cast members and fed a thousand people Thanksgiving turkey dinner um, in a parking lot because love looks like something. Love has to be a tangible action. And for, for the generation of tomorrow, me taking a stand, you taking a stand, parents raising their voices and taking a stand is going to pave a way for these kids to be able to take their own stands in the future with an identity that is set in love and in truth. We are talking to Desi Diamani, again, a Disney performer, a singer. She performs in parade, uh, parades and musicals and all kinds of other events. And she's one of, uh, well, I don't know one of how many. Can you give me an idea? I don't know how big Disney is at either Disneyland. You work in the California side, right, Disneyland? Yes, I do. Okay, or, or Orlando. I don't know exactly how many cast members there are, but if if you guys do communicate with one another, how large of a contingent would you say you are? How many people are like you that are uh, that are conservative-minded, they don't agree with the woke policies, the targeting of children in certain ways, but are afraid to speak out? Do you have a, Could you put a ballpark percentage on it, Desi? You know, I actually couldn't put pull a ballpark percentage because the more I speak out, the more I find that there's people like me that are coming out, they're just, they're just afraid. And I would say there's more of a majority of people that are leaning more on the, I wouldn't even necessarily say conservative side. It's a traditional side. And even like back to the beginning of what Walt originally intended for this to be a place of happiness and magic where, where age could relive fond memories and it would bring us back to the ideals that built America. That's Walt Disney's words. Um, I don't have the quote in front of me, so I can't like directly say it, but I think there's a lot of people that still stand 
for those values. And they're not, they're, some of them are gay and some of them identify different ways, but they still agree that kids should not be indoctrinated this way. Yeah, and, and that's the key. And and by the way, even if you don't have a percentage, I think you hit what I thought you would say, and that is there's probably a majority. There's probably a strong majority of people who have made their li- made their careers rather out of entertaining children who just want to entertain children and who don't want to indoctrinate children, who don't want to bring sexuality, sexual attraction, sexual choices, etc., to children uh, when you're working for Disney. You just want to entertain families as you always have. Because I've heard a number of people suggest, uh, you know, again, and anonymous sources inside Disney who believe that it's really a strong majority who disagree with this woke tactic that is being pushed by the company, but people are too afraid to say so. Now, you are courageous enough to say so. Let me just ask you point blank. Are you afraid for your career right now? Well, you know, I'm already in a an interesting situation. I mentioned the religious vaccine exemption. So I'm pushing back against that because they approved it, but then they're giving me permanent restrictions. So my job's already on the line, and it's been on the line before I even began to speak out. So since March, I've already been in this weird limbo place, and I'm, I will continue fighting. And if, if I end up keeping my job, great, but I have no idea what it's going to look like because I was not expecting my face and my voice to go out to the, to the world um, in the capacity that it has, but there's no turning back now. I'm not going to be silent and I'm not going to, um, be afraid, but who knows what it looks like there. There might be retaliation and hostility. And that's something that I've actually questioned HR about, like, because of my different views, like how is this, um, how am I going to be protected in the hostile environment if it turns into a hostile environment? I hope it doesn't because all the people I know are very kind. Um, so, but you I'm know just kind of taking it one day at a time. <laughs> but you know it's coming. Uh, and and then I'll ask you one more question, and I really appreciate your time. We're talking to Desi yeah. Diamani. She's a Disney performer and a cast member. Um, you probably saw that the Daily Wire, a very conservative organization, they do a ton of things. They already do a lot of children's targeted programming anyway. But they have pledged to spend $100 million over the next three years to, to fill the void that, that many families are about to experience because they will not put their children in Disney parks or in Disney movie theaters, etc. And they're building uh, their, their entire new, uh, an entire new line of children's animation projects, from movies to shows uh, to, to books and so on and so forth. Um, have you thought about it? That if things go south because of what you're experiencing at Disney, uh, that maybe this is a place to go and continue your love of, of entertaining kids. Um, absolutely. Everyone's telling me I should get my resume together. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily need to be in around people that think just like me because I love going into the hardest places. Um, but I'm always open to helping build an entertainment company with uh, entertaining things for kids that's going to teach them um, the right things um, that's going to be uh, relevant to their age group. So, yeah, um, Daily Wire, I'll reach out to you. You can reach out to me, Desi Diamani. 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you know, we have a little bit of contact with the folks over there, too, and anything we can do, seriously. And I bet they're probably already have their eyes on Disney employees who, who want to get away from that uh, mess that they're creating and who really, truly want to, you know, to continue to educate and entertain children rather than to indoctrinate them. So I bet you're probably already on their radar. And I wish you the very best. And, and, and I hope we can stay in touch, too. I'm going to have my producers try to stay in touch just to follow where you go and what happens because uh, what you're doing is courageous and deserves to be applauded and most importantly emulated i hope others are encouraged uh to follow your lead so desi diamani thank you so very much for what you're doing thank you so much god bless you too. Okay. all right uh, coming up on 11 30 we're going to take our news break here and on the other side we're going to talk about the hat the hat was uh found uh by way of probable cause to have committed all kinds of election finance uh violations the hat, of course, being Joe Blystone. Stephanie Foucher was one of the lead complainants in the uh, case filed against Blystone. She's going to join us to tell us what happened this morning uh, at that probable cause hearing next on AM 1420, The Answer. Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always right with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it's 11.37. Got one more segment here before we let Bill O'Reilly take it to the top of the hour. If you didn't hear it earlier on, uh, I had somebody providing me some play-by-play of the uh, probable cause hearing held today by the Ohio Elections Commission involving allegations of campaign finance fraud against the hat, otherwise known as Joe Blystone. Uh, Three to nothing was the decision. Just three commissioners heard the probable cause hearing or held the probable cause hearing. It was a three-to-nothing decision that it will be uh, uh, referred to the full commission um, within 10 days, and that would be specifically on May 2nd, one day before the actual May 3rd primary. Now, the person who has given me the play-by-play is our guest right now, Stephanie Fouché, and I apologize, by the way, for saying Foucher all of this time. I didn't know it was a French word or French name, but Stephanie Fouché is one of the lead complainants against Joe Blystone uh, because of all of the campaign finance laws that she witnessed and that Sarah Chambers witnessed being broken uh, while they were working for the Blystone campaign. So, Stephanie, Thank you for your time. How are you this morning? I'm good, Bob. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank How are you? you? For, I'm great. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm really um, I'm inspired, I guess, a little <laughs> bit here by the fact that we were able to, thanks to a lawsuit, uh, not we, but that the situation was able to be expedited so that this hearing could be held now rather than two weeks after the election, because I think this is going to perhaps impact a lot of people's votes. Uh, and if they're voting for somebody who is going to be investigated perhaps criminally by the uh, Franklin County Prosecutor's Office because of these things, it's kind of something you should know before you cast your vote. Uh, so I know you were watching very closely. What was your reaction to what you saw? Yes, sir. Um, so the two new complaints had been filed, what was it, earlier last month. Um, and I was glad to see that they were able to get an expedited hearing um, I went into it with an open mind because I know that there were some challenges with um, the one commissioner, uh, Phil Richter, and attorney Kurt Hartman had to go file with the Ohio Supreme Court, and then the commission gave in to hear this hearing, which I was grateful for, as I'm sure many others were as well. Uh, we started watching it, a handful of us. Um, I'm very proud of the other complainant who came forward. I thought it was absolutely 
critical to expose many concerns in regards to campaign finance with Blystone. In addition to our other separate complaint, which we know still has not been able to be heard before the Ohio Elections Commission due to Blystone's civil suit he has against them in Franklin County at this time. That, that, formally that's, that's, that's Sarah's, correct? Yes, sir. Okay, I just want to make sure that we're talking about the same things here because uh, uh, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of complainants, as you say, and uh, and we need to know what this one is. Now, your, your message to me before you came on <clears throat> was that you are going to have to combine two complaints into one for the hearing on May 2nd. Can you tell me how that, that works? Were, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Not at all. There had been possible dot, uh, discussion of that. Now, whether that's going to be feasible or not, I am unsure, so I can't give you an honest answer on that. Okay. But um, if there had been a brief discussion maybe about that possibility. Now, supporters of uh, of Joe Blystone as a candidate say that everything that is being levied against him, all of these allegations from Sarah Chambers and her complaint from yours uh, and the letter from the Secretary of State is all just deep swamp, st- deep state swamp stuff trying to stop a true Trumpy kind of candidate here uh, and that all of it is made up and all of this stuff is, uh, you know, is is been weaved out of whole cloth, if you will. How do you respond to that, considering you were one of the eyewitnesses to some of the things that have been alleged in these complaints? My honest opinion is, is Joe Blystone has about a dozen different statements he uses over and over. And some of these supporters just regurgitate what they've heard over and over and over from Joe Blystone himself. And I wish more would actually read the complaint and everything that is happened after the complaint we have been verbally assaulted we have had threats made at us from some of the radical supporters um i really wish people would do more research more candidate research instead of just going off of word of mouth because a lot of stuff that has come out of joe blystone's mouth is just it's repetitive it's the same stuff over and over even from the beginning of his campaign Now, they can call the swamp or people truth-tellers like us that have all stepped forward with our statements, supplemented with signed and sworn affidavits, our bank statements. They can call us the swamp. Call names all you want, and I'm absolutely fine. But what I do know is that we are standing for truth and integrity, and that is absolutely what Ohio needs at this point. I've only got about a minute left here, Stephanie. Uh, Sorry about the clock. We may have you back on tomorrow if you can to explain the plane a little bit further here, but you are the regional leader for the Blystone campaign in Lake, Geauga, and Ashtabula counties. That's a pretty heavy responsibility, so you must have been a true believer when you first started with him, right? Absolutely, yeah. I hit the ground running um, knowing that I didn't, us as Ohioans couldn't afford another four more years of Mike DeWine. And yeah. Joe Blystone at that point in time was the only one that had formally announced. And the first words that caught me were constitutional conservative. And as things progressed, I realized this man doesn't really know much of the U.S. Constitution. And I caught many red flags and I sent my resignation letter into his campaign at the end of May, in which he did formally recognize. But I just want to put this on the record, too. He he says that he had disgruntled volunteers and they were all canned. Um, Two of us resigned 
formally. So we were not that fired. Matters. Yeah, that matters. Yeah, that matters, Stephanie. I'm glad. Listen, I've got to go here because I'm up against the end of the show, but I'm going to ask you to go on hold. Don't hang up. I want to ask you to talk to Johnny or Marcy about coming back on tomorrow, maybe even with Sarah Chambers, so we can talk a little bit more about that whole thing. Thank you, Stephanie Fouché. Thanks to everybody, all of the guests today. Thanks to my crew, and thanks to you for listening. In we'll see you tomorrow silence. on Always Right Radio. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.